As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. That was good. It's the 5th of June 2017, I'm Benjamin Riley. And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week we're talking about homonationalism. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk about a conversation I had with a friend of mine about our last episode. He told me he was going to write it in as a as an email, which you can do at queerspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, but then we were just talking and he was like, ah, I can't be bothered. I'll just tell you about it. We The last episode, of course, we were talking about queers, uh, queers' relationship to the state and, you know, wondering why it's become increasingly common for uh, queer political movements to be primarily seeking recognition from or protect uh, recognition by or uh, protection from the state uh, around issues like marriage equality and things like anti-bullying programs in schools that sort of thing and my friend said uh, a point that that I that I really liked which was the kind of obvious one that you know a really potentially good reason why that might be the case is because for a lot of people perhaps even most people you know want to feel a general sense of belonging in society, and so kind of the this um, the the state is effectively just a kind of vehicle for that sort of broad social uh, uh, legitimization, which is a like such a kind of it's almost like a too obvious a point to make, but I but I don't think it's something that we said quite that explicitly, and and it kind of raised the question for me of I suppose we sort of covered whether or not that's a good thing in the in the episode, but you know what how we might kind of promote or, or even think about projects for... Um, we sort of talked about it at the community level, like mm-hmm. talking talking about um, recognition and legitimacy within our own communities. But I think there is some value to, uh, for example, seeking recognition and seeking inclusion within a kind of broader society, you know. Or, and like, obviously, there is. That's, that's something a lot of people want. So what might that even look like outside of the... Uh, 
you know, doing that through through the state, through institutions like marriage. And the kind of obvious thing that 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 I realize is the answer to that is uh, something that is already happening a lot in queer communities around um, the inclusion of queer people in media, in sport, in business. That sort of you know trifecta of of um, what I think of as very kind of representative politics. Um, but perhaps are linked to that broader project of, of social inclusion in a way that I am maybe maybe unfairly dismissive dismissive of. Yeah, and that's that sort of representative politics is something that I'm I'm less critical of than I am of um, representative politics in terms of people trying to get you know gay leaders of a state of a of a government because um, I think it has the potential to connect more strongly uh, with the day-to-day life experiences of queer people um, and is more of a community-based approach to that kind of stuff rather than relying on the sort of the power and authority of the state. I think it's a a really good point that your friend brought up. Um, Definitely one we didn't really consider, but a really obvious one. And so much of the marriage equality debate is really about belonging. So it's definitely an interesting point. I mean, maybe maybe something we can think about, like how can we talk about that sort of sense of belonging um, as maybe a topic for another another episode? Because I think it's a really interesting one. Yeah, I agree. Um, so let's let's take take a deep dive from there into the heady topic of homonationalism. Well, homonationalism occurs when political leaders, queer people, and queer organisations use the rights of queer people to justify racism, xenophobia, and nationalism. It is an ideology that equates particular cultures or religions as inherently anti-queer, um, in turn justifying the oppression and discrimination against that culture or religion. Homonationalism has arguably been on the rise in recent years and has become particularly relevant with the oppression of queers in places like Russia and more recently Indonesia hitting the headlines. Political leaders and queers alike have used these situations to create a black and white picture which pits the liberal progressive West against the rest of the world. An example of this could be found in queer responses to anti-gay legislation in Russia over the past few years. Many queers have taken a particularly anti-Russian tone in protesting these laws, blaming the entire country and its sort of backward nature for the legislation. Uh, This, for me at least, was maybe best epitomised by the booing of the Russian contestant at Eurovision last year, uh, which we spoke about in an episode last year, Uh, and a, a scenario in which queers were not only protesting the laws, but in essence protesting Russia itself. With these global events, we thought it would be worth investigating homonationalism as an ideology. What is it? How did it come about? And what can we do about it? So, given the complexity of this topic, I thought a good place to start, Simon, would just be to uh, expand a little more broadly on maybe the origins of the term and, you know, what how we understand it to play out. So, do you want to have a talk about that? Yeah, so homonationalism is actually a relatively recent term as far as I understand it. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, framed uh, by a person called Jasbia Pouar, um, and uh, they just sort of describe it as a processes by which powers line up with the claims of LGBTI community in order to justify racist and xenophobic positions. Uh, so it's really, um, I think, you know, in essence, the way I'd potentially describe it is a sort of ideology or a frame that, that positions the West primarily, or you know, uh, you know, in our position, Australia or a particular particular country, as having this sort of enlightened, progressive um, perspective on LGBTI rights, a sort of perspective that is driven um, both by queer people and by um, state leaders who want to uh, sort of jump on that bandwagon. And it's taking that sort of progressive perspective and using it as a way to criticise another country or another culture or another religion and to sort of 
paint them as paint that cultural religion as inherently backwards because of its position in relation to queer people um, because of because of oppression that is sort of inherent to that culture or to that to that um, religion or to that country so it's sort of painting um, anti-queer prejudice I guess in a very nationalistic tone saying it's not just about um, the uh, particular ideology or a particular um, political perspective that might be occurring in a country that is having you know anti-queer oppression it is it is inherent to that country itself or to that culture itself. Um, and therefore, and, and sort of following on from that, the West is inherently better because we have a far more enlightened position enlightened position on, on those issues. That's sort of how I see it, I think. Mm, I think, I mean, in thinking about this topic and, and doing a bunch of reading about it ahead of today, I th- in some ways it feels like a, like a really extreme logical extension of a lot of what we talk about on the podcast. So in some mm-hmm. ways to me, it, it almost feels like the, uh, the a, a really sort of extreme extension of um, respectability politics, you know, in, in that it, it's, it is about queers being co-opted into the project of othering. Mm. So, uh, you know, c- certain, usually more kind of, you know, um, I use this with all the inverted commas one can, most acceptable queers, you know, to to mainstream society, I guess having some legitimacy in marking out something that they are not, you know, a kind of, a, a, and I, I guess it's a, a way of conflating the bad queer with a, a, a kind of racial other, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I see what I see what you're trying to say. Like it, it's it's taking. Uh, so we have a uh, an acceptance of the of the the acceptable queer in Western societies, and it's using those acceptable queers as a way to target another other. Um, and we've sort of spoken about how often that respectability to- politics targets an other within queer communities within Western cultures or within or within Australia in our specific circumstance. Um, and this instance, it's using it as a way to target the other that is the, the, the foreign person or the foreign country or the foreign culture or the foreign religion um, that we, we want to target in this way. And it's using that acceptable sort of person to be able to do that. Um, and, and I think then in turn sort of painting ourselves or painting our own country as this sort of uh, great beacon of hope uh, and great beacon of, uh, I keep using the word enlightenment because it's just one that keeps coming back up, um, all this great egalitarian society um, that is that is inherently better than this other out there um, mm. and sort of co-opting queerness into that. I mean, I think it, it also does have the effect of othering queer, like queers, certain kinds of queers as well in that, like mm-hmm. the, the people who are included in this um, oh, now I'm now enlightened is the only thing that's popping into my head. Um, Sorry, but it's actually it's actually kind of you know given the, the sort of ideas of the enlightenment project, it's 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 not a bad one to use. You know the peop- the the queers who are included within that sort of homo nationalist discourse are the most acceptable ones, and it mm. does it does kind of exclude, um, and it sort of has to it has to render invisible anyone that is excluded within our own social context so so anyone who is for example excluded in the pro the project of like marriage equality in the ways that we talk about that in that it benefits certain kinds of queers homo nationalism does the same thing um it, it it's about kind of drawing a circle around uh, a certain kind of queer person and pitting them against an other mm, and i think you know i think maybe if we go back to the specific example that we brought up in the in the introduction uh the russian example um, what you know for me what that was doing was it's it's 
at the most basic level, it's othering the Russian queer in many ways by associating them, you know, so by associating them with the with the culture um, that is apparently the um, the sort of the cause of the anti-gay legislation that occurred. So it's not. So it's sort of. It's you know. I, I'm not a big fan of the term erasure, but like it, it erases that 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 person that, that the Russian queer. It erases the experience and the history of Russian queerness uh, and sort of others them as not being sort of part of the us and the the us of the good queer over here who is who is doing that sort of acceptable who is now part of the sort of acceptable. Uh, part of society, I guess, um, and so it's it's bringing that otherness, I guess, into a uh, giving it a real racial tone or a cultural tone uh, that doesn't exist in some other parts of that respectability discourse. I feel like what you're saying sort of implies that. Uh, oh, I mean, I guess this is just the process of like stereotyping. Yeah, it's it's like this erasure on both sides by like setting up this duality of. Um, the enlightened West that includes like gays because we're so progressive and blah, 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 um, against the sort of, you know, regressive, um, uh, racial other who's, who's backwards and who, you know, treats their queers terribly. It both erases queer traditions in other cultures, but at, at the same time, um, you know, erasing sort of, you know, quote, bad queers in our own culture. So it's, yeah, it's, there's that interesting kind of duality there. Yeah, and it's one that actually, before you sort of raised it, I hadn't thought of it in that kind of way, but I think it is a good point. The You know, I'd sort of always thought of homonationalism as really being focused on that, the sort of external, but the way it sort of has the capacity to erase or to, to other people within communities as well is just as important in many ways as the way it, it raises um, groups, you know, or, or countries or cultures outside of um, the space of the country that we're in or the, or, or the West in general. Well, I feel like it, it speaks to the sort of hypocrisy of homonationalism that it, it uh, not only becomes a, a, a discourse that is an excuse to uh, I don't know, be racist, basically, mm. um, it's it also becomes a, an excuse to not to kind of examine uh, the ways that queers are treated badly within our own culture um, by sort of imagining that everything here is kind of fine and rosy and perfect when, you know, we've got you know and and you know any any every country has has issues with the way it, it treats queer people yeah and i think that uh it's not just about and uh, maybe expanding on expanding upon that because i think you're 100% correct i think it also gives an opportunity to sort of ignore the way a country may treat other minority groups as well and i think that that creates that sort of um blocking out that space of like you know we're really great for queers which in most western countries is not 100% the case anyway um and so that makes us really great with it, whilst ignoring this other space out there of what, uh, you know, how how we treat other minority groups, and and it sort of removes that potential for solidarity. Um, we I talked we talked a little bit before we recorded, or you know, one of the examples we discussed a little bit earlier was the example of Pauline Hanson tweeting about the awful, uh, you know, how can um, uh, Malcolm Turnbull call Indonesia a moderate country when they, uh, you know, when they flog gays, for example, and it's, it's a really good example of a leader who is quite happy to exclude a whole range of minority people, uh, minorities from her sort of discourse. Um, and has a, a terrible record on that, but being able to use gay rights suddenly, suddenly being really the champion of gay rights um, as a way to justify that, as a way to um, to 
to to to justify her own position and to sort of paint Australia as this sort of again I use this word enlightened place or this progressive uh, progressive place in on social issues, which is quite funny coming from someone like Pauline Hanson, um, as a way to then sort of shut out a whole bunch of other groups. So it's about uh, so I think that's a really important element too. Totally, and I think it, that sort of says something interesting about the nature. I mean, not to get too esoteric too quickly, but about the kind of nature of um, of, of queer politics, or maybe LGBTI politics as a as a project. Pauline Hanson is, you know, a politician who is notorious for, um, you know, quite uh, racist positions on various things over the years. I'm like, should I euphemize that? No, I probably don't need to. Um, no, I think you're right. Yeah, it's it's almost about a siloing of gay rights as a as a specific rights group. Uh, sorry, gay people or queer people as a specific identity group that have a specific rights claim that are focused solely around that um, that identity status, um, and not seeing the connections between the oppression of queers with the oppression of women with the oppression of people of colour and or you know et cetera et cetera et cetera, and not and not seeing which I, which I would make. Um, the case that that, that that those oppressions are all sort of in, interlinked or have yes, um, yeah, similar yeah, yeah. yeah they they're, they're, they're all got the same systematic underpinnings and so but when you see when 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 you're able to isolate groups so, you know identify a group hey you're um, gay or lesbian or um, bisexual or transgender identify that group individually focus energy on that individual rights um, discussion uh, or, or sort of focus energy on those individual rights for those individual groups then you can sort of um, isolate the isolate groups together and sort of almost play a divide and conquer kind of role where you 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 divide these groups from it from, apart sure, from each sure. other because you say look these people over here are against your rights and so you, they're the enemy totally well i mean we're you know we're just talking about identity politics, as we yeah. as, as we always do. <laughs> oh, I mean, this, how is, strange. this is kind of weirdly similar to what we were talking about on the last episode. You know that mm. that once you was I think it was the last episode that once you kind of name something, once you once you give carve off a, a particular group as having a, a, a discrete identity in that way, then you know they can be more easily co-opted into ideological systems. I'm going, to be, I'm going to have to be careful here that I don't, because I'm doing so much research on that very topic at the moment, that I don't bring, <laughs> us, bring back every episode to that to that sort of sure. analysis. Oh, well, you know, I'm right there with you, so it's, it's fine. Um, but yeah, what, no, I think that that's, I mean, that's that would be the argument that I make. It is about the capacity to isolate those groups and then turn them against each other in that kind of way. And, and you see it, you know, so it, I think... I think homonationalism is probably the best example of it because I think it is quite common um, uh, in that way. And uh, and maybe that's because of the sort of anti-gay backlash that we've seen in recent years in places like um, Russia and Chechnya recently, which is obviously part of Russia, but uh, sort of different examples. Parts of the Middle East um, as well. Parts of the Middle of the East, parts of Africa. Where, where parts... violence against against queer people, and in the same in Africa as well, where violence against queer people has explicitly been kind of framed as um, uh, in opposition to, like, quote, Western values in mm. a lot of instances. Yeah, actually, I think that's a really good point too. Um, and and do you think that that sort of that framing of um, you know the framing that that sort of uh, has framed uh, queer queerness as being a Western import in a lot of these countries has also allowed for the the rise of homonationalism in places like Australia or the UK or the US because it's sort of being pitted as a West Western values versus non Western values in some kind of way. Well, I feel like it's it's really difficult to separate those two things. I mean, they're they're sort of two sides of the same 
I don't know, discourse, I guess, that, you know, we, like, it is true that the way that we talk about, this is where I get into trouble by using queerness so freely because it was really Mm. not, it it doesn't really fit. It is more just kind of LGBTI identities um, because uh, it's true that LGBTI identities are a kind of construct of of a very specific cultural uh, context um, as, as we've talked about on the podcast before. And so like, it is just kind of literally true to, to say, well, that's not something that is defined in our culture in the same way for for um, countries potentially outside of that cultural context context so I think that that's part of it but it's also kind of understandable that this sort of uh, rhetoric around like that escalating into anti-queer violence and o- often very horrifically so is kind of framed as a project of resistance to the West when you know discourses like homonationalism are explicitly pitting those things against each other like you know when you create that sort of a ideological battleground those outcomes make sense and i think maybe this that's sorry that's also not to in any way suggest that like you know people promoting you know i would never want to kind of suggest a kind of causal relationship between the kind of really extreme horrific violence uh against people in these places you know i i just want to make that clear that that it's it's more kind of complex and diffuse than that Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Um, I think what I was going to say is this comes to the crux of why homonationalism is such a repugnant thing to me, more than anything else. I mean, leaving the racism aside, um, which is obviously extraordinarily repugnant, um, the, the thing that I think I hate the most about it is that it is a form of ideology that has no actual concern for queer people who live in a particular place, mm. in, in a particular place where there is a, a backlash going on at that point of time, in that what it actually does, if you actually look at it, and particularly in the context where we where a lot of um, anti-queer backlash is framed around a sort of anti-Western ideals, is that it has the absolute potential to reinforce that backlash so strongly, reinforce that anti-gay prejudice, that it shows a complete disregard for the lives of people who are suffering in those places. And not even just like a, you know, um, you know, we're, we're disregarding their cultural practices or, you know, queer people's religion, if, you know, if we're talking about gay Muslims, for example, or, um, or, or anything like that, but just that it shows, you know, a homo-nationalism is inherently going to create uh, resistance in a country in which it's directed. That resistance is probably naturally going to be directed at the queer people of that country. Um, and so in this sort of like, look how amazing we are at, you know, being um, amazing, you know, proponents of gay rights in our country, we're actually just making things worse for other people in the way that we're doing it. And that, that for me is the thing that pisses me off the most, I would say. Mm. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. I mean, it's and I guess framed like that, it it just puts it in. I mean, it's it's ideological colonialism, I guess, um, mm. in, so, in a fairly direct way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, but I guess maybe you know that was my like little strident little statement. Um, maybe to tone it down a little bit, although though maybe what's it is worth asking is is sort of we had some questions here about like okay, so we've we do have this backlash in these sorts of in these places. We do have. Um, you know, quite a quite a lot of that occurring. Um, in it, we we, meant, we we listed a bunch of countries and regions just before. You know, 
how can we engage in those broader issues without engaging in homo-nationalism? How can we engage in those broader issues without without sort of taking the strident nationalist perspective? Sure. I mean, it's it's in, it's interesting because we we um you know there there are a series of questions that we that we sort of yeah. had to to talk about that are all like almost like critiques of the critique and kind of mm-hmm. going well you know I feel like we've dealt with the easy stuff and now it's like but you know there's lots of actually really. Yeah. Um, it is really confronting to sort of look at the the violence that happens to queer people around the world, and and you know what to to not just want to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I almost feel like of of those different critiques that we framed, that this is almost the easiest one to answer because and it's, yeah, it's one and it's one that we've talked about before as well. This is this was ended up I think sort of being the crux of the issue we did last year. Uh, the issue, the episode that we did last year on. Um, uh, on Russia and I guess kind of queers and international issues, which is to just like ask queer communities in those places, you know, make a conscious effort to amplify and listen to and respect the voices of queers that are actually having to deal with this stuff. Um, and that's not always possible, but it's often possible and not done. Yeah. Okay. I, I, look, I think maybe I did go for the easy question then. Because I, think <laughs> you, I think you're probably. I think. I mean, I think that is the most obvious answer, um, and one that is not really done um, very well. Maybe to expand on that, though, and going back to one of the easier, the harder questions. I mean, <laughs> in doing that process, is there something that we should be saying about the West and about the? progress that i would say undoubtedly has uh, undoubtedly has occurred in the west um should we be presenting that as a model to other places as a way for people to move forward you know you know why can't we say look how how well things have gone here to to countries and places that have where it's where at the moment you could argue it's not going so well for queer totally yeah, this is such a this is such a tricky question. I think I would have two things to say about it. The first is, as I touched on before, the question of hypocrisy, which is that it's you know we we probably shouldn't be talking about this paradise that we have without also engaging with the the things that we still have yet to do, mm. um, and and the things that are still um, uh, you know in a lot of cases really bad in in um, countries that would that like Australia that would kind of say that we have. Uh, that things are really good for queer people. So I think I think that that's the the first point. The other point I would make is that it is you know, is, is a sort of broad point about colonialism, which is that it it it's like really really bad and <laughs> and kind of ruined the world and you know the 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 world you, you know most of the kind of large scale um like socio political, socioeconomic kind of problems that operate on a global scale are the kind of fallout from the kind of rampant and violent colonialism that occurred that has occurred over the last few centuries. Uh and that cultural uh colonialism, I guess, is a kind of extension of that. And so mm. it's it's really, really difficult to uh it's really, really difficult, I guess, to exert even cultural power on a large scale around, you know, saying that your cultural ideas or your cultural context is is superior to another without that just doing a lot of damage, even if we think that that's true, even if we can kind of, you know, imagine that that might help particular people. We have so much evidence to show that in the long run, it's just really, really bad. And the effects of that are really, really damaging and very long lasting. 
And so, yeah, I don't know. I like I, yeah. I I don't really have an answer to it beyond like we have so much evidence to show that this can go really badly. So we should just be so fucking careful. And maybe that's to the point that you you just can't do it. Yeah, I think. I mean, this goes to something that I've noticed. Um, recently and probably noticed quite a bit because of you know debates not around queer issues but debates around terrorism which is not a debate i really want to get into because it's not our podcast and it's not an excellent something i'm an expert on terrorism um, podcast but, let's do yeah. it no let's um, not do that but uh so i think what what you do what i have noticed though is so queer groups in australia at least are very very willing to criticize christianity or criticize the christian church uh, very strongly um, we've seen this a lot with the margaret court debate recent debate recently um, sort of a willingness to sort of go in on on conservative uh, christian churches um, and the sort of culture that and the ideology that they sort of spout um, margaret court again something i don't really want to get into because i'm so sick of it but anyway um so just I to briefly it's... explain to people who might be aware yeah. or are listening to this a while ago uh she's the former tennis champion came out and I don't know. I don't really know. Said some homophobic stuff, Said and everyone's angry about stuff. it. That's yeah, yeah. that's pretty much all you need to know. We were thinking about doing an episode on it, and they were like, "That would be the crux of the episode," and I don't think we could do much else. <laughs> yeah, I know. that's all we have to say. <laughs> um, anyway, so you know, one could argue, uh, and uh, and I think it's an interesting argument to engage with that if we're so willing to make that criticism of the of organised uh, Christianity, um, why not to be able to make that criticism of organised Islam? Um, uh, you know, when it in, when, and, and I think that there is some debate around that, particularly in relation to terrorism at the moment. Uh, I think there's debate around that in relation to gay rights, for example. And I think that, uh, you know, and, and it's a challenging thing because I think that um, it is possible to, you know, to, to, to look at that as an, at, at an organized level and, and not so much at a personal level. You know, you see these people who say, we need, must rid the world of Islam, and I am definitely not... Um, justifying that statement at all but i think that the the potential to challenge it at organized organized level is there in a very very careful kind of way Mm. but coming back to your point of colonialism i think it's very very challenging because even if you want to make that those critiques the the history of colonialism is so strong and so difficult and and so ingrained with this sort of um western imperialist imperialism that uh to do it automatically brings up that history of colonialism that makes it really, really, really difficult and makes it um, almost impossible to do without the potential of there being this sort of counter-backlash, um, you know, that, that we've sort of spoken about a little bit earlier. Totally. And well, so... I think you can, you can pretty much guarantee that you will cause harm. You can maybe hope that there will be a positive side effect, but, you know, one of them's a certain, one of them's not. Yeah, 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 and so it's 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 you know it's a challenging thing because you know there's there's, there's the part of me uh, who who honestly wants to uh, feel more comfortable um, critiquing organised Islam, and, I'm, and again I just really really want to reinforce that I'm not saying critiquing Islam or Islamic people, but critiquing critiquing organised elements of a of a of a religion that um, that uh, that I think has. Uh, that that does problematic things, just as just as I would say, other organized elements of other all pretty much all religions do problematic things. Um, but that sort of history of colonialism makes it very very difficult to be able to do that in a way that won't create that harm. And I think that's that's really challenging. And and 
I guess that's where we come back to the question of of working with people in those countries or supporting people in those countries and helping um, people do that work because it is the it is often you know it's the critiques of organised conservative religion within Western countries that have helped change you know make Western countries have have some more progressive outcomes in relation to queer people you know with acknowledging the problems that still exist and the major major issues that we have, not just in relation to queer people, but, are, you know, other minority groups as well. Um, but working within those countries to help fix those problems is going to be far better off because you're sort of, you're minimising that capacity for that for that harm to occur um, while still well, actually finding some positives. You're critiquing the culture from within the culture. I mean, that's the, mm. that's the thing. I, th- I think there's something to be said here about, like, I don't know, that, like, uh, I was almost going to say secularism, which is what I want to say, but I'm worried that I'll, I'll just kind of fall down a rabbit hole I won't be able to um, <laughs> get out of. When you were talking before about wanting to be able to critique organized Islam, but not Islam as a religion or Islamic people, I think that that idea is like essentially a fantasy, you know, mm-hmm. in that, in, in well, I mean, for two reasons, partly because the whole... Uh, you know, te- discourse around terrorism and, you know, all the kind of anti-Islam stuff over the, over the last, um, particularly over the last uh, 15 or so years, 20 years, um, has been about pitting uh, the West against Islam. And so, you know, it like there is an incomplete conflation between the religion exactly. and all these parts yep. of the world. So that's part of the problem. The other thing is that in most parts of the world, uh, there there is a conflation between religion and culture that that those things kind of line up you know, that that this idea, this kind of oh no, now I'm just getting back to this kind of secularism stuff, which which is which I <laughs> again I I don't know if I can talk about uh, intelligently enough, but when we talk about critiquing Christianity from within a country like Australia, we're effectively critiquing Christianity from within a Christian culture, like what mm. is like a, a, tr- a tradition that we are basically a part of, even if we call ourselves atheist, you know, we, we're still basically, a, you know, a Christian country. I think that's that's important to acknowledge. And I don't mean it in yeah, the way that, like... Yeah, true. Totally. I don't mean it in the way that kind of conservative politicians say that, where it's like, you know, you should all go to church. It's more about kind of acknowledging that, that we are... In, that, that white Australia is embedded in um, this... Uh, the history of this religion. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And so, I, I like, I feel like... Because we don't really recognize that or have an awareness of that because we do have we hold on to kind of ideas like secularism and atheism in a country like Australia, we imagine that we can make those distinctions in other places and with other religions and i'm I'm just not sure that's um as as possible as we might like to pretend that it is yeah, I think that makes a you know I think that's a fair point, and it's probably one that I would agree with, um, despite the challenges that it brings, yeah. Yeah, and so, and so it's kind of like you Don't get to the end here and it's like, you know... Uh, Homonationalism is bad. Homonationalism is um, bad. And I, I don't know how you kind of critique these things, I think very cautiously and mm. through the kind of voices of the, the queers who are kind of in these places. Um, I also just want to say, because you know that I I may just be like way off with what I was saying before about kind of secularism and and 
religions in in other parts of the world. Uh, I, you know, I'd be curious to hear people's feedback if if they completely disagree because I'm not, you know, I'm I'm certainly not a, a theologian or anything or anything like that. Yeah, no, um, I don't think either of us can claim um, claim expertise in that area. No, and, and I guess that's just that's just a kind of a, a sense that I get more than anything. And at the very least, that um, conflation has been set up by the broader sort of political discourse around these issues. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe at that point, though, we can wrap up for today. Let's do um, it. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening, um, as always. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. In the meantime, you can catch us on queers.podomatic.com or subscribe to us on iTunes. And, of course, if you do, leave us a review and rating, which will help other people find us. You can also send us an email at uh, queerspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Simon Copland. And I'm also on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer. And I'm on Twitter at Ben C. Riley. Uh, that's all for today, and we will see you all next time. Bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.